Hello and welcome to another episode of Conversation with Lamp. I'm your host, James Lampkin, and I have a very special guest, Miss Melina DeFloramonte. Hello. First of all, before we start, I wanted to just thank you for taking the time to join me because I know how busy and hectic your schedule is. My pleasure. Um, this is definitely a little outside of my comfort zone, but um, I'm excited to uh, try something new. So here goes. And also, I wanted to congratulate you because I know you're doing a lot. Um, I know you just bought a house. You got an amazing career going, and I just wanted to take time to say congratulations, and I'm proud of you, and I'm always sitting back in mind what you're doing. Thank you so much, James. I really appreciate that. So let's get to it. I know that you are a nurse, and yeah. was there a motivation for you to go into that field? Yeah, actually there was. So um, it's kind of a convoluted story. But when I was younger, I wanted to be a pediatrician. I always knew I wanted to be in healthcare. Um, and then I took some chemistry classes in high school, AP chemistry, and I was like, oh, no, nah, I can't do this. Because I knew I would have to take a lot of chemistry if I went to medical school. So, you know, I was a little afraid, didn't think, you know, I would succeed. So I switched my major to psychology, went to school for psychology, went to Morgan. Uh, and then after I graduated, you know, I thought about, I'm like, this is not what I really want to do. Like, can I really see myself doing this for the rest of my life? Um, I knew with psychology, I would need to go back to school again to get at the very least, my master's, if not my PhD. And then the only, I didn't want to do clinical psych. So the only area that really, you know, made good money was um, organizational psych, but I knew I didn't really want to do that. So I talked to my aunt who is a nurse practitioner and she was like, you know, have you considered nursing? I know you wanted to be a pediatrician, but have you considered nursing? And I was like, you know, I hadn't really thought about it. And, but when she told me that I can go back to school for a very short period of time using the credits from my previous degree um, and, and get into an accelerated program, I was like, this might be the path for me. So that's just what I did. I applied to Catholic University, got into their program, went to school for uh, 20 months. It was a rigorous program, but it flew by. And after the 20 months was complete, I had my nursing degree. So. Wow. Yeah. So was it, was, it, was it a very challenging program? Or? It was definitely a challenging program. Um, we went all through the summer. We didn't have any breaks. You just went straight through. Um, I did do, I forgot, I did do some prerequisites prior to that. So I went to PG and I did uh, my nutrition classes. I did um, organic chem anatomy and physiology, those were requirements for the program. But once that was complete, um, I started my program at Catholic, and it was intense. It was definitely intense, but I'm glad I did it. So was there like a, was there like a major difference going from like an HBCU to, cat, to Catholic? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Like, it, it, it was like a culture shock. Because not only was Catholic predominantly uh, white, but, you know, it was a religious institution as well. So, you know, some of my classes were taught by nuns. 
was just, it, it was, but you know, my focus, my focus was school. Okay. So I got past that very quickly, made friends and, um, you know, just focused on, on my education. I really didn't, I didn't stay on campus or anything like that. Go to class, come home, do what I need to do and then repeat, you know, the next day. But. So what was your, I'm sorry, what was your experience like in the, um, in the HBCU? Well, you know, HBCUs, uh, lots of camaraderie and, um partying (laughs) yeah so my first i i think my my experience with hbcu is very different than some other people i i don't think i immersed myself in the culture as much as some others um being that i was from pg county and going to morgan i came home a lot Uh, even though i stayed on campus i came home a lot we would come home on the weekends um and then also with Morgan, when I started at Morgan, they had had this ban where they couldn't really have certain activities on campus. And they couldn't have parties because they had done it in the past and bad things happened. So we used to get like bust in a cheese bus. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we would, we would get bust to the clubs um, in a cheese bus because they couldn't, they couldn't have activities on campus. But, but again, that was also, I mean, I did, I did enjoy the activities, but again, my focus was always, you know, going to class, doing what I need to do so I could graduate. How did you, did, how, how did you end up choosing Morgan? I think I chose Morgan because I knew a lot of people that went to Morgan. My brother started out at Morgan. Um, my cousin was at Morgan, and then um, a few of my friends who went to, you know, went to Suitland with us um, were going to Morgan. Okay. So I, I, I honestly do not remember what other schools I applied to. Because and I, I got a scholarship. I got a scholarship from Morgan too. So. Oh, okay. Oh, full right? Partial. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Because I was, you know, I never really thought about it. I was surprised um, when I when I read that you went to Morgan. Because I'll be honest, I thought, like, with the grades and stuff, we, you know, you had a high school. I thought you went to, like, like a almost damn near Ivy League school. Really? Yeah. <laughs> no. Nah, because I, 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 yeah, I, mean, I, I definitely did good in high school and definitely got, had a good GPA. But, yeah, I think I applied – I feel like I applied to all HBCUs. I definitely remember applying to Hampton, Morgan. Um, I don't remember what other schools I applied to. It's been so long. So is it, is it like a, Morgan. Hmm? so, cause I had a, my cousin went to HBCU. Is it, is the admin really like disorganized like people say? I don't recall having that experience. I mean, I feel like everywhere is going to have issues. Like, no, no administration is going to be perfect, but I don't recall having major issues with administration um, when I was going to Morgan. Okay. Yeah, that's because it's like I always hear that people are like, oh, 
You know, when you go to HBCU, prepare, be prepared for the admin to be messed up, your student loans to be late. And I know my cousin, he he had a lot of horror. He went to uh, Eastern Shore. He had a lot of horror stories with financial aid and just dealing with the, you know. Yeah, I don't, I don't recall having any of those issues, but that was a long time ago, though, you know. <laughs> but yeah. I don't recall having any major issues um, with admin at Morgan. So I guess they were doing something right. Well, that's good. So when you got out, what uh, what type of nursing did you go into? So when I when I initially, you saying when I got out of when I graduated from Morgan, when I graduated from Catholic. A uh, Catholic, because that's uh, where you. Okay, so huh, it was like the hardest two and a half years of my life. So I knew, I knew I wanted a strong foundation when I graduated from nursing school. So I knew that the way to do that was to start off in med surge. So med surge is just short for medical surgical. So it encompasses all things surgical and all things medical, right? So I worked on a um, surgical unit um, and we did every surgery you can think of. So we did cardiothoracic surgeries. We did some vascular surgeries. your basic stuff like your appendectomies. We also had uh, what other type of surgeries? We did traumas. Um, So anything you can think of. So once um, patients come in and they go have their procedures, they will come up to our floor to recoup. Or sometimes if they were going into a procedure, they will come to our floor as pre-op. But when I tell you I've seen so much and I've done so much on that floor that it created such a strong foundation for me to work anywhere else a lot of times when people come out of nursing school they want to jump into specialized areas like what I do now like NICU or labor and delivery or postpartum and sometimes you don't always get the well-rounded skill set that you would get by going into a med surge uh, area when you first come out. So once um, I knew I didn't want to stay there because it was, it was brutal. It was brutal. Like every day I was like, Lord, just, just get me through the shift. Like it wasn't even, I hope I have a good night. It was like, I just want to get through the shift. We had, um, it's like six patients to one nurse and these are adults. Six patients to one nurse. You could have like somebody with a wound back. You could have somebody with a chest tube. You could have somebody who just had um, liposuction and they're all bandaged up with drains. You just did not know what you were going to get. Mm. But if you were able to, if you were able to manage it and learn how to manage your time, it really, it really sharpened my skills pretty much. And um, after I left there. I, I knew I wanted to work with um, with babies. So let's get into that because you know I, I remember we talked about it. Um, you know, my daughter was in a NICU for eighty four days. Mm-hmm. So when I read that you were in the NICU, I was like, wow, because I always got a special place in my heart for the NICU nurses. Mm-hmm. So how do you how do you guys deal with that? Because you know, it's, it's, you know, it's the lives are so precious and mm-hmm. everybody that, you know, you, you know, when you're in there, you're fighting for your life. So how do you, how do you all like 
maintain your emotions because I never understood how y'all could do that. Um, I mean, we we feel too, and there are times like there are times where we've lost a baby and we've cried. You know, we've cried while hugging the parents. Or, you know, there are times where our babies get really sick and, you know, it it makes us upset too. So we're not, we don't hide our emotions. I mean, there are some people who know how to manage it better than others, but we feel too. And we express that to the parents who, you know, need that support because sometimes that's what they need. You know, if you're going through something and your your baby's sick and your baby might be, you know, um, dying then you don't need somebody who's cold and yeah. unfeeling. You know what I mean? So we're, we're, we're there for our parents. I've, I've cried before. Um, you find the parents? Or? Yeah. Because, like, um, like, okay, number one, I'm, I'm, I am an emotional person, period. So. In, yeah. in that field? I, yeah. I mean, of course, you're not going to break down, like, falling on the floor, boo-hooing, but you know, it's okay to show a little emotion. It's okay to let a tear or two fall if that's what you feel in the moment. Um, because, because I, so I didn't mean to interrupt, but no, no, you good. when, so I'll never forget um, my, when, when my daughter was in there, like I remember the date it was, it was, I know it was like late October. It was around like, I want to say like October 24th, 25th, somewhere in that range. Mm-hmm. So Nia had only been in there. She was going on the eighteenth. So we talking about she was going on maybe like week five, week six, and she had a uh, she had a really bad infection, like really bad. Like she was she was really fighting for her life. And I remember um, I remember the nurse um, coming in talking to us, and normally. You know, normally they can't keep their emotions in check. Mm-hmm. But um, she, I could tell, like, she had been crying and she was really upset. Mm-hmm. And it was like, man, like, I, I didn't know I didn't know how to feel. Like, I didn't know if I should be really nervous, should I be scared? Because the crazy thing is, um, well, I shouldn't say crazy. Um, I've always had a lot of faith, so... Mm-hmm. When Nia, throughout the whole process, when Nia was in there, I never felt like we was going to lose her. I knew she was going to be okay. And I even tell my wife, and my wife doesn't believe me, but she actually winked at me. <laughs> and, my, and, my, and, and my wife does not believe it, but she honestly winked at me. So I knew she was going to be okay. I knew she was, you know, I knew she was going to be in, you know, she was going to have to fight. She was going to be in for a battle, but I knew God was going to get her through it. Amen. So, and I, my faith wasn't shaking, but um, seeing her, you know, seeing that woman like really emotional, I was like, oh man, like maybe this, you know, maybe it's a little more than what it normally is. But you know, so did, so did that make you feel uncomfortable, or did you ap- appreciate the fact that she? was really, you know, in touch with what she was feeling regarding Nia. Actually, it made me appreciate it. Okay. Because because I knew, let me be clear, I knew they cared. I, I know they cared. They were, you know, you know, all the, you know, all the love and all the 
care they gave me. I knew they cared. Mm-hmm. But it was just seeing her like that. It just showed a human side of her. And it's not like I didn't know they were human. Mm-hmm. But it was just, you know, seeing that, like, you could feel her emotions. You could see, like, she really cared. So that made me feel good to know, like, these people actually do, like, they really do care. Like, you know it. You know, I mean, you got to care to put that much work and energy into your career. But just to see her, you know, just to see, like, the toll it took on her. Like, I didn't want her to go through that. Right. I didn't want to go through it. But at the same time, just knowing that she could understand my pain, not my pain, our pain. Like, yeah, it was. Yeah, that was a, that was a rough one, but you know, by the grace of God, she got through it. And even yeah. even when my father, like, um, when my father was my he wasn't in NICU, but he was in ICU, mm-hmm. he was sick. And I just remember, like, I remember just crying. And a lady and the nurse looked at me, and it's like, it's like she um, it felt like she wanted to break down. Mm-hmm. But she was just like, I can't break down in front of him. So right. she just like stepped out. Cause I mean, you know, seeing a big grown man crying like a baby, I'm sure I gotta do something to you. I mean, you know, you all right. human just like sure. we are. So that was tough, man. That was tough. So I I I like I said, I commend I commend you and anybody else who do that job because that has got to take it emotional toll on you. Yeah, I mean, it never it never gets easy. Thankfully, um, where I work, we don't have too many deaths. You know, our our um our baby our babies do get sick, but if they require any sort of surgical intervention, we do have to transfer them out because we don't do surgeries um at the hospital where I'm at. But, you know, it never, I mean, it's it's never easy when you're, one of your patients is, is really sick. What's the smallest baby you've ever seen? Oh, smallest baby I've ever seen was, I want to say 300 grams. Wow, that's not even a pound. Oh, no. That's, it's like a fetus, pretty much. So, um, this mom had twins at 23 weeks and so one baby at 23 weeks is already hard um two babies at 23 weeks the likelihood of them you know surviving is very slim so um yeah that was probably one of the most difficult deliveries i've ever been a part of um but yeah those those babies didn't make it wow Three hundred grams. We've had five hundred gram. We've had five hundred gram babies that have survived. Wow! And grown to full term. Yeah, they're pretty amazing, actually. And I thought Nia was small. How how big was Nia? She was one pound one ounce. Okay. So I don't know how many grams that is, but she was she was tiny, like. Like, I still, I still had it pictures to this day. Mm-hmm. It was tiny, like, like I, I just remember, I, I just can't believe how small she was. Yeah, they're they're amazing, and sometimes you know, of course, as as parents, you're gonna be a little reluctant to 
sort of hold the baby um, because they do they do look pretty small. Um, but you know, we're as nurses, we're used to them um, being that size, and you know, we we handle them with with no issues. But um, sometimes it's those little ones that are the feistiest. Kicking their legs, arching the little pelvis off the bed, but we like them like that because that shows that they're they're fighters. So right, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you just learn you just learn so much in it. Like I learned, I learned, I learned a lot in there. Um, it was a lot, but it, it 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 definitely humbles you. It makes you um, it makes you appreciate your child even more. I mean, you know, the miracle is. The miracle of having a child is already amazing enough, and then mm-hmm. you know when you see your child actually survive that, it just adds to it. Yeah, it's amazing. I have um, I have close relationships with a few of my NICU graduates mm-hmm. who I've seen from, you know, from birth, and some of them were very small. Like one who I absolutely adore, he was delivered at. 24 weeks um and he was very small and now he's a thriving two-year-old you know so every time I see him I'm just amazed at how well he's doing and how well adjusted and he's such a happy kid and I just remember I was I remember I took care of him the day he was born actually um so to see him now is it just makes my heart so happy so what's the protocol for that? Is it is it true that you all can't really establish like relationships with the family? Is that true? No, that's not true. Okay. I mean, we can't you can establish a relationship with whoever you like. We can't do things like um, you know, post pictures of the babies that we take care of at work. You know, but once they leave the NICU, you can establish whatever relationship you like with them. So um, like, you know, with my photography business, I've had one of my now really good friends whose baby was also in the NICU. Um, she reached out to me while he was still there for photography. And I was like, oh, no, girl, I can't do that. <laughs> you know, it would be a conflict of interest. But once you once he's discharged, we can do whatever we want. Right. And that's actually, actually, that's actually a perfect segue to... Your, your other career because like I said in the beginning you you were an extremely busy woman the photography business how'd you um what was the motivation behind that so as far as I could remember I've always liked either taking pictures or being in front of the camera so when I uh, moved here to the states because you know I'm Guyanese Mm-hmm. Um, and I lived in Guyana until I was nine years old, moved to U.S. to nine. Um, my dad had this camera. I think my uncle or somebody had given it to him, and he never really used it. <laughs> so, and, and my family, I have a big family, and we're we're very tight-knit. Um, like, all of my um, dad's sisters and brothers, they're all here. Um, all of my mom's family, they're in Miami and in England. but. Um, for my family here, we would get together a lot, you know, all the holidays. We would have, um, you know, ice cream for somebody's birthday or we'll get together for a barbecue, whatever. Um, we, we got together often. So, you know, my dad would take this camera 
to the cookouts and to the family events, but would never use it. So I, I took on that responsibility of taking pictures until, you know, I, I got dubbed the name paparazzi for my family, which I was cool <laughs> with. Um, so one of my aunts, she noticed that I was really taking an interest in photography or, you know, I, of course I didn't think of it that way at that time. I just like taking pictures. Um, so she purchased me a camera for Christmas. It was like a Kodak 110 film camera. Took the worst pictures ever. Um, <laughs> but I was so excited. It was like my first camera. You know, I, I took pictures of myself, my friends. Um, and then from there, I purchased, you know, as I got older, I purchased a couple other cameras, little point-and-shoot cameras. Um, but really the the interest became very um concrete and more serious when i was in nursing school actually so i had a classmate who was also into photography and like she had like a legit camera i just had a point and shoot at that time and <laughs> she would take take photos of like flowers and other inanimate objects and print them out and make these greeting cards. And I was like, oh, this is really dope. Like this, I like this, this is nice. And so I would talk to her about photography and she sort of helped to foster that interest that was already there. Um, and so I would go around campus on Catholic University. It's a beautiful campus if you haven't seen it. Um, mm -hmm. And take, take pictures of the flowers or, you know, some landscape stuff. And once I graduated from uh, Catholic, I, I knew I wanted to really pursue um, photography. So I went out and purchased myself my first DSLR. That was in 2007. And that just changed my whole life. Because mm -hmm. to go from a point and shoot to DSLR and to see the quality of the images was just, just blew my mind. And got me really excited. So I would take take the camera with me everywhere and take pictures of everything and um, you know and then people started saying oh you know you take nice pictures and can you you know take a picture take pictures at my event and I'm like oh I'm not really a photographer I will always say that I'm not a photographer like you, it's, it's the camera um, and I was shooting an auto and everything like I did a whole <laughs> wedding in auto but I digress. Um, but yeah, so that's basically how it got started. And then I had a mentor really, who's a really, really good friend. Her name is Insana. And she um, was at my house and I knew, I knew of her. She was actually dating my brother at the time, but I knew of her because her brother worked at my hospital. And I was like, oh my gosh, I, I, I know so much about you. I know you're such a great photographer. And she sat down and she talked to me about photography and helped me understand how to shoot a manual, which is key. I always tell people you're not a photographer if you don't know how to shoot a manual. Now, what's if a you, manual? I, I, so manual, manual shooting is basically you tell the camera what to do. You tell the camera how much light you want to come come into the lens you tell the camera how fast you want the shutter speed to be um you tell the camera what you want the aperture to be as opposed to having an auto and the camera saying this is how 
I'm going to expose for this image because of the surrounding area. So basically you are the architect of your photography. When, oh, you're okay. shooting manual. when you're shooting in auto, the camera's doing everything for you. You have no control. <laughs> no, it's true. You basically, you basically just a, a, a novice, pretty much. Yeah. So I'm like, um, until you know how to shoot a manual, you're not a photographer. And it took me so long to actually own that title. Because I Yes. I, I would tell people, I'm not a photographer. I'm not a photographer. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Like, nope, I'm not a photographer yet. So it wasn't until I developed my skills to a place where I felt like I could really market myself. That's when I own the title of photographer. But until then, I never claimed to be a photographer. And I, I, it kind of like bothers me because I see a lot of people who will purchase a DSLR and then all of a sudden you're charging people for photos and you shooting an auto <laughs> and I get I get that we all need to start somewhere mm -hmm. but take the time to invest in your craft take the time to learn before you step out there and you know start charging people for work that's not not good so it sounds like you went through a, like a process how long did how long do you, would you say it took you to feel like okay like I, I feel like I'm a full-fledged professional photographer now oh years years oh. because for after after so after my um my friend insana you know talked to me about shooting a manual uh she was just like you know encouraging me to like just shoot everything and every chance you get take your camera with you and practice and i at one point i kind of hit a block because i felt like i wasn't getting it um, and so I put my camera down probably for a good year where I wasn't really doing much with it. Um, it, it was that you saying because you, you, because you were, you have, you felt that much of a block that you yeah. put it down for a year. Absolutely. Damn. Absolutely. So I would say it probably took a, a, a good few years before I was like, all right, I think I can officially call myself a photographer now. So was it like that you, when you put it down, it's like you lost your passion to do it or? I just got frustrated because I felt like I wasn't maybe learning fast enough. Mm -hmm. um, and I just, I just wasn't getting it. Like I just wasn't getting the results that I wanted to see um, in the, in the stuff that I was shooting. Now, mind you, I'm not charging or anything, charging people at this point, but just in my general practice, like I just felt like I was hitting this block and I wasn't understanding and and then I don't, I don't even know when it clicked it just clicked one day and I just got it and was it something that made you was it something did something like a feeling or event happen and make you decide okay I need to pick it back up and go back into it I honestly don't remember <laughs> probably but I honestly can't pinpoint any particular situation that caused that turnaround okay, okay that's good so it sounds like you kind of like you kind of grew this this photography business almost by just like it's almost like an accident well i wouldn't say it was an accident no no i'm talking um, about just the just the um just the process of starting out like you didn't start out wanting to be a photographer it was you just started out 
enjoying the camera and then they right. grew into that. Yes, I would agree with that. Okay. I agree with that. Because I've seen your work. You, you take some great pictures. Thank you so much. I think I was in like two <laughs> You said, oh, <laughs> I know. What was that from Langston's um, yeah. party? Yeah, uh, yeah I, I got that picture. I was like, damn. Now I see why people pay for pics. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a lot of work, though. I don't, and I think sometimes people don't understand that. Like, shooting is fine. Like, shooting does not take, well, let me not say that. I was going to say it doesn't take that much effort, but it does. Um, but really, the work is after the session is completed and you have to sit and edit. <laughs> How long is a typical session, like shooting? So um, a typical session is like an hour and a half. Damn. Sometimes. That's a long time. Yeah. But you'd be surprised. That time goes by fast, especially if they're doing multiple looks. So but, who, like, for headshots, it's like 30 minutes, 30 who, to 40 so minutes. Who, so who determines the pose? Do you determine it? They determine it? Do you, is it a collective? It's a collective effort. So a lot of times my clients don't really know what to do they're like oh you know i don't know what to do i'm nervous i need direction and i just kind of help guide them really i kind of help them relax okay um i like to you know we like to have fun in my sessions i want you to feel comfortable i want you to feel like yourself uh and then eventually we kind of get into a groove and then there are those clients who need zero direction who are either experienced uh you know, bloggers or models, or even if they're not a model, like they, they're used to being in front of the camera, so they just know what to do. Um, and so sometimes they won't require much direction at all. Mm. But it's a collective effort. And then there, you know, there are moments where my client might, you know, say, hey, you know, I, I want to take a photo over there, or, you know, I, I want to do this pose with this work. And I'm like, go for it, you know? <laughs> So it's a collective effort. Okay. I wanted to um, circle back um, okay. to, your, to, your, uh, to your background because you're from Guyana. And you said you came here at nine? Uh-huh. Nine years I old. I don't know why I thought it was earlier than that. Because we've known each other so long. I don't know why I thought it was earlier than that. I but know. You... Since Bradbury Heights, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hey. You, so, do you, so you actually remember me in Hmm? You actually remember being in Guyana? Yeah, I remember being in Guyana. What was it like, culturally? Uh, it's totally different than here. Well, for one, the, the weather. It's it's close to the equator, so um, we have warm weather all year round. Uh, so no winter, no fall, just hot and rain. <laughs> How did your um, family decide to come here? My father's mother and sisters were here. Mm -hmm. um, and so they, what we call a petition, because you like a family member has to petition for another family member to come up. Mm -hmm. um, so they petitioned for my mom to come, because I think my dad came first. And they petitioned for my mom. And because we were young, um, we automatically were able to come with my mother. Okay. But yeah. Nervous? Say that again? 
were you nervous coming here? So I feel like I was excited, right? (laughs) My mother, I have no recollection of this. My mother said I cried for like a week (laughs) after coming here. And I was like, no, I did not. Like, I don't remember that. She was like, I believe your mother. She was like, you cried for a week. I'm like, "Mm." I mean, I'm sure it was a, it was a culture shock. Yeah. You probably blocked it out, but I I can't believe that happened. Maybe. I don't don't remember. So was it, I mean, when you, so, I mean, do you still go back? I haven't been back because most of my family's here. I have a godfather that's there now and um, two cousins who are actually trying to come up here, come to Miami. But yeah, nobody's really there. So I haven't gone back. Um, my dad used to go frequently because we still have a, a house there, which um, is being rented out. But, yeah, I haven't gone back. I need to, though. Yeah, you should. I know, like, one, one thing I do know, I don't know a whole lot about Ghana, but one thing I do know is they have, like, a good, um, solid family structure. That's the Caribbean in general, though. Yeah. Like family, um, family values is, is, is a big deal in the Caribbean for the most part. I mean, of course you have, you know, your isolated cases, um, but for the most part, it's, it's all about family. Yeah, because I and most of the Caribbean, most of the people I've met, like from the Caribbean, I mean, I haven't met a whole lot of people, but you know, the few I've met, they've always been like close knit with their families, like a tight family unit, mom and dad, and they just grew up and they keep and they and one thing I noticed too, like even when they come here, they they continue to uh, keep their culture, like they don't. They don't come here and leave that culture behind. They bring their culture with them. Absolutely. Yeah, we, but, we're proud of our culture. Yeah, you should be. Because Lord knows us regular black folks don't have no damn <laughs> Not regular black folks. <laughs> <laughs> we don't. I mean, that's, that's why we, you know, that's why we in the situation we are. We don't have any, like, we don't have any culture. We don't really have anything that we can't identify with. So. Mm-hmm. We just kind of take on with, you know, we kind of just take what's given to us. I mean, if you look at, if you look, just look around, like look at the, the, the your Caribbeans, your, uh, your Mexican, your, uh, your Puerto Ricans, like they tight knit and they, mm-hmm. you know, they keep that, they keep their culture. They keep it, you know, they keep it close to their heart. So. Absolutely. So the DM, how do you, um, the DMV area, you, are you are you been here your whole life? Are you still enjoying it? Yeah, I, I yeah, I'm still enjoying it. I mean, I don't I don't really have anything else to identify with in terms of you know locate where I've been. Because um, after we moved from Guyana, we came straight to Maryland. So I've been in Maryland for most of my life. Um, I do like Miami though. I have family in Miami. Uh, and many times I've said, oh, I would love to just come and live here. And my cousin was like, don't do it, girl. Because <laughs> she's, 
she's in Miami now. She wants to move elsewhere. But um, but yeah, I like I like the DMV. So you never really considered you never really, you never considered really moving anywhere else. I haven't. Although now I'm starting to think more about, you know, as I get older, maybe moving to the south somewhere. But we'll see. Why? Because it's cheap. It's absolutely. Cost of living is definitely much less than it is here. Well, you better be retired first because there ain't no damn jobs there, man. Oh, really? Come on. See, that's the thing. So everybody gets caught up and how much this area costs, you know, oh, it's expensive, it's this, it's that. Well, they can charge it because people make the money, right? This area, you don't hear about people. When the last time you heard about people struggling to find a job here? Like, this area is thriving. I mean, it's, it's, it's expensive. That's why it's, I mean, it's thriving because it's expensive. At the end of the day, they're not going, they're not going to charge you if, they're not going to charge you what you can't afford. Like people, I think people just got this misconception that, you know, oh, it's so expensive. Yeah, it's expensive, but look at the salaries here, right? People make money here. <laughs> I mean, not he, everybody, though. Everybody nah, ain't making money like that, but nah, I mean, not, not, not every. I mean, look, let's be clear, not everybody, but I'm, what I'm saying is, like, there's, there's opportunity here that most areas don't offer. I agree with that. So, I mean, with opportunity come, <laughs> comes at a price. True. I mean, well, I got I got family in North Carolina. I'm sure it's not the only thing down there. <laughs> 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 I'm just being honest. Hey, oh yeah, my my house. I got a a, a full bedroom house, and it's in it, and I'm only paying a thousand dollars. We work, piggly wigglies. <laughs> 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 man, come on, man! Like you, you're not the, that place. Starts your growth. Like it's cool. Like it's certain parts of the south. Like, uh, like Raleigh is thriving, uh, and of course Atlanta. But it's like everybody moved there. Yeah, it's like, yeah. mm-hmm. that just turned into <laughs> that just turned into DC. Everybody moved there. So it's like you moving. It's not all that cheap. I mean, it's a little cheaper than here, but, you know, is it that much cheaper? Probably not. I also think it depends on your profession, too. Like, thankfully, I have a career um, where I can go anywhere. Yeah, that's true. Be a nurse, you know? Um, and I'm, I'm definitely fortunate, you know, in that, in that um, aspect. But, yeah, I definitely hear you. But what about the but what about the photography though? I don't know if you can go anywhere with. I mean, you can, but I don't know if you can keep that. You seem to have a pretty. I'm following you on IG. You seem to have a nice little client base. I do, and my client base is is growing, which I am. Um, I feel so blessed. Um, at the opportunities that have been coming my way recently. Um, but yeah, there will always there. If I moved, the only thing that might change is the price point, like what I'm charging. Mm-hmm. But there will always be people who want photos taken. So where would you, let's say you move, where would you move? Like, just give me a city. Um, man, don't say Atlanta. God, don't say Atlanta, man. 
I don't think I would want to. I don't think I would want to move to Atlanta. Atlanta is too. It's too bustling. Too popular right now. Yeah, I, I went. I went down there for the. Uh, I went down there Fourth of July for the uh, Peace Tree Run. It's no different than home, man. It's a lot of people. Really? Yeah, it's a lot of people, man. Atlanta's crowded, man. But that cost of living, that the prices of their homes, it's real tempting. <laughs> it's so tempting. Yeah, it is. It's, but but the the feel my wife and my wife is in uh, like cyber. It's not it's not thriving like that in cyber. Really? Mm-mm. That's no. surprising. Yeah, it's not. Like we looked at it. We looked at it for a high second, but I don't want to leave it like this. This my home. Like, um, like I was when I was even when I was in the military. Um, when I, I, you know, I was only in there for a hot sec. But well, I was gonna say you were in the military. When that yeah, happened? Yeah, man, you blink, you missed my little bit of time. <laughs> <laughs> I was in and out of it. I only post pictures on Veterans Day. Oh wow. <laughs> What what branch? Army. Wow. I went. There, I, went I deployed and everything. What? Like, yeah, man. Yeah. It like I said, that was a long man. That was the longest short term of my life, man. It was, but it, it's funny because like I look back on it now. It it set me up. Um, it set me up to do the, the the things I'm doing today. But man, yeah. when I was in. Man, I because I, I went in because I went in right in the um I went in right at the heart of the uh, um, the Iraq War when this first started like right after excuse me you know like like right after nine eleven really got um, mm-hmm. really got kicked off and Bush decided he wanted to uh you know get rid of those weapons of mass destruction <laughs> so. Wow, learning yeah. something new every day. I did not yeah. know that. Yeah, man, your, your your classmate was over there, but it, it it's it's not um. I'll say this: it's not. It wasn't like what the news made it like really bad, but at the same time, I wasn't I wasn't really <laughs> going all throughout right looking for trouble either. Right. <laughs> so it was. It was an experience, man. I, I say that. I think the one thing I learned, I think everybody should leave the states and go to like a a country, like a third world country. Well, any country that's not, uh, you know, that doesn't really have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I think every American should see that because, man, when you see how other people live, you you gain a whole new appreciation for this country. Mm-hmm. Even with all these silly ass characters we got in charge, it's <laughs> it's still no place like it. Uh, I used to, I used to wonder, like, can you hear me? I'm sorry. Yeah, I can hear you. I used to wonder, like, um, I don't know if you ever paid attention, like when people come back from uh, like from war or something. First thing they'll do is they'll kiss the ground. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ain't no way I would do no nasty shit like that. <laughs> Soon as I got back home, I didn't <laughs> kiss the 
I didn't kiss the ground, but man, I was like, now I see how people do it. It's, man, look, as bad as this, as bad as this place is, like, it's, you know, with all the stuff going on around us, this country is blessed, man. Mm-hmm. Like, people do not realize how blessed we are. Yeah, we definitely take a lot for granted. When I, um, you know, Guyana is a third world country, but I don't, like, when I was there, I didn't really think of it that way. It was just home, you know. We And, and my parents actually did relatively well in terms uh-huh. of their careers and the money that they were making in our home. And, you know, so we lived comfortably. But I recently went to, I went to Spain last year for my birthday. Um, and the last, the last full day, we took a day trip to Morocco. Mm-hmm. And I specifically wanted to see um, Chef Shawan, which is the, the blue city. It's, it's gorgeous. If you haven't been, you have to go. But on the way to Chef Shawan, like, I really had to use the restroom. Like, I really pee. So I was trying to hold it. The drive from Tangier, which is where we um, came into, to Chef Shawan's about three hours. Mm-hmm. And I asked the driver, I was like, how long, how much longer can we get there? He's like, about 30 minutes. I was like, oh my God, I can't, I can't hold. <laughs> so he was like, okay, we'll stop um, somewhere. So he stopped in like a little town. It was like a little restaurant. Like, <sighs> and I walked and I was like, oh crap. Like, it was <laughs> kind of run down. And Pointed when he pointed me to the bathroom, I was like, Yeah, and <laughs> before I got out, um, Rasan, you know, Rasan, Rasan yeah. was like, I'm not keep an open mind, <laughs> like, okay, what am I about to walk into? So I went in, and he was like, They're probably gonna have an Arabic bathroom, which is like essentially a hole in the ground. Mm-hmm. So I walk in, it, it was like it was smelly and there was a hole in the ground. I mean, there was a, there was tile like around it, but it was a hole in the ground, James. <laughs> and there was no light in there and it smelled really bad. And I was like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. No we're really about to do no. this. <laughs> and so, you know, I did what I had to do, came out and I'm looking like the, there's, like a rundown sink right next next to the bathroom with no running water so i was like i'm gonna wash my hands so then i had to go to the kitchen what yeah i had to go to the kitchen and he like pours so dish detergent on my hands (laughs) i can wash my hands at the sink i was like you know what this made me appreciate my my little toilet at home i can't i couldn't do it so basically, I mean, you you imagine being in a restaurant and they tell you, "All right, come on in the back where we cooking, man, and go wash your hands." Yeah, they're disgusted. But Rasan knew that's why he was like, "Keep an open mind." I'm just going, you know, give you heads up. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. was 
That's that's a bit much. It, but I mean, for I mean, you know, for men, that's not you know. Well, <laughs> I mean, it, I feel like it would be easier for men because y'all oh. can just. Stand yeah. up, like we yeah. gotta squat down over this hole. Like. That's right, of course. That's why I said, but that's just not that big a deal. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> I zip and go. Oh. <laughs> I, that was wild. I'll never forget that. So you went for your birthday? That was recently, was right? Yeah, because I saw that. I'm pretty sure you. I saw some pictures of that. Yeah, I, I, it took me forever to, to post, edit and post those pictures. But yeah, I just posted them recently. But it was it was the most amazing trip of my life. Yeah. Um, and it was a big, it was a big leap for me because number one, I mean, I've been, I've been to some international uh, um, places, but I've never, I've never been to Europe, first of all. And then I've never flown internationally by myself so I flew by flew into Spain by myself Mm. and stayed in Madrid for three days not knowing any Spanish Mm. but I was like you know what my friend lives in Spain like I don't have to worry about you know once I once I actually got to where he was so I don't have to worry about a place to stay. Like, it's not that expensive. Like, why not? You know, I want to do something big for my birthday. Um, so I'm so glad I did it. Like, I'm so glad I didn't chicken out. How long did it take you to plan the trip? Uh, not long. Few, maybe like a month. Uh, but only because, okay, I will, I will offer this disclaimer. Um, Rasan was very detailed and very instrumental in orchestrating a lot of things. So especially with me not speaking Spanish, like some of the um some of the sites where I had to like book my train ticket and um you know book my one of my the smaller uh plane rides to the airport, all of that was in Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, uh, can you help me? So he was very, he was very instrumental. So I, I honestly don't know what I would have done um, without him because I, I might not have made it if it wasn't for him. Yeah, I don't, I don't think Rasan, I don't think Rasan coming back to the states. I, of course, he's not. He's living his best life, and I love it. <laughs> I was, I, I like, I remember, like, we, we so we hung like right before he left. Me and him, so me and him are friends. I'm, I'm not gonna say we like best friends. We have a really, you know, we got a good relationship. Like, right. we tell what we speak, and it's, it's very cordial. So before he left, um, we all went out. We all went out to like DC or something. And man, I don't even know. That's been over. That's been much longer than ten years. <laughs> yeah, we, we getting up there, man. Yeah, he been gone forever. Like, and he don't even like he don't even talk about coming back here. Mm-mm. Like, it's not even in. <laughs> it's like I, I think I asked him once, like, "You coming back?" And he just like I don't even think he bothered to answer the question. Like, he just was like, "The vibe I got was, dude, get out of here. I'm never coming back to America." Like, Damn. well, this is what he's always wanted to do. He's always wanted to travel. 
And, you know, being in Europe, you can just hop from one place to another very easily and um, not have to really dish out a whole lot of money. So it's like perfect. So he speak he speaks Spanish now? He speaks Spanish. He's wow. not fluent, but he speaks a whole lot more than I I can. <laughs> I mean, I guess see, he living there. He better he better learn the language. Mm-hmm. But it was it, but everybody was really nice. Like the people were really nice. They what I did realize is, you know, unlike um certain other places where you know, the locals may speak English. Most of them do not, mm. um, unless they're involved um, in, in tourism or, you know, they're working at, like, the hotels or whatever. They don't speak no English. So it was it was very interesting um, for me trying to communicate. And I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be crazy. And when I got to the airport, so Rasan had, you know, basically told me what to do. So you can get to the airport, you take the train to the metro, and you take the metro to your hotel because the hotel is right by the metro. I was like, all right, easy. I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> so when I get to the when I get to the airport, um, I was like, okay, please point me in the direction. The people in the airport spoke English. Until I got to where I needed to purchase my ticket for the high-speed train. I look at the kiosk, and it's all in Spanish. And I'm like, oh, crap. So then I asked the guy at the information booth, and not one lick of English. I just show him the paper of the stop that I'm trying to get to. And he's, like, steady talking to me in Spanish. And I'm just like, poquito. I don't, I don't know anything. <laughs> And so he literally had to go to the booth and like punch in the stuff for me. And then he was like, I, he asked for the money. I gave him, I think like a huge bill. He's like, no, 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 poquito, poquito. So I was like, I don't have a smaller bill. He's like credit card. Okay. I got that. So it was, it was interesting. And it was like that on the Metro. Um, so I was like, I can't, I can't do this. So I ended up just using a service like Uber that they have there um downloaded the app and that's how i got about but i you know i did meet some people and formed a couple of relationships with people there um it was it was just an amazing trip like the food the the people it was just awesome so one, awesome. you know what we me and me and my wife talked about traveling but one of the things that i kind of I'm not going to say I'm like overly worried about it, but one of the things I do worry about is racism. Did you experience that over there? I did not. However, I, I actually did, did not have any of those experiences. But I know of someone who went to Spain, um, flew into Madrid, just like I did a couple months after I went. Um, because I was telling him, you know, all of the, the things that I did and activities you know, that he could um, probably do and would enjoy. But when he came back, he said he did not like how the people treated him sometimes. I'm like, really? I did not have any of those experiences. He was like, well, you're a woman, and I am a six-foot-five black man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's like, you know, my, my experience was a little different. And I think I've heard someone else say that. Yeah. Um, 
but thankfully I didn't have that experience. Maybe, maybe I would not have felt so uh, elated about my experience had I gone through that, but he didn't give any specifics of what he experienced, but he just said he didn't like the way people treated him um, uh, during some moments of the trip. Well, yeah, because I, I mean, of course I wasn't there, but you know, when you, anytime it's a bigger, you know, big black guy, you know, it's automatic, you know, it's automatically intimidating enough. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, some people may put you in a box just off of that. You know, they already, you know, you already got these preconceived notions that we violate and all that stuff. So you, so you're looking at a guy that you probably physically can't be. So, <laughs> you know, that could be intimidating in itself. So. Yeah, but racism is everywhere, and you really can't allow that to stop you from living your life and enjoying these moments. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. I, well, I mean, I put it like this: it's it's not the main fact I haven't gone. Um, we, like I say, me, me and my wife talked about it, but to me, I'm not I'm not big on traveling. Like it's. Traveling is not my thing. My it, that's like that's one of the big differences between me and my wife. Like, she loves to travel. Me, I can care less. Really? Why <laughs> yeah. do you think that is? Uh, I'm pretty sure it's because when I was growing up, I didn't travel much. Like my my parents wasn't really into travel. Like we didn't we didn't travel when I was younger. And I think that it I think it just stuck with me. I think it did. Mm. Okay. I, th- I, I wish um, I'm getting better at it. Like, uh, you know, I'm trying to do things for for Nia that uh, that I didn't get the experience. Like, she's right. been to, um, I, I, we, we went we went to Disney World. That was my first time going. So, um, just things, you know, just just taking little trips here and there. Like, my my, my wife, uh, you know, I try to make her happy. So. <laughs> I planned a little something. Well, no, let me let me not lie because this is being recorded. So let me not lie. I have not <laughs> planned a trip. I try to plan trips, but you know what? Let me not even say I try. No, but <laughs> <laughs> it ended up being. You know, the, the the biggest trip I planned was a road trip to Charlotte. I did plan that, but mm. I don't know if that count much. Nothing where we had to get on the plane, but I'm working on it. Yeah, you should. There's so listen. It's there's so much world to see. Yeah, I, I, and you I, can just start small. It don't have to be, you know, nothing grand. You don't even have to do an international trip, but. Start small. Well, I, well, I've been. Oh, I mean, it's always I'm, a good idea. Well, okay, so so I've been places. It just wasn't me who planned them. Gotcha. Like I've been to I've been to Jamaica. I've been to uh, Mexico. Um, now the government paid for me to go to Iraq. <laughs> oh, of course. Um, yeah, <laughs> that one. That wasn't on my. That wasn't on my list of trips to go. <laughs> <laughs> But we went to uh, we went to Mexico. With, I've been to Jamaica. I've been to Jamaica twice. It was nice. Um, it was nice. It, it, I just it's it's good to see different uh, cultures. It was nice. Uh, Mexico. 
<laughs> Mexico was fun because, <laughs> like, it's, I'm sure you. I'm sure if you've been to Mexico or Jamaica or anywhere, like those people make you feel wealthy, man. Wealthy? <laughs> Listen, man. I tip. <laughs> I tip the Mexican dude like five dollars. You know, here, man, that's not much. Man, I tip that dude five dollars. You know, every time I came in that restaurant, he looked for me and he would he would like have me a seat. He would have us a seat. Everything. Off of that five dollars, so I was like, okay. So I know the trick here: five dollars to get you, <laughs> five dollars to get you the royal treatment in here. So yeah, I don't think they make much. No, nah, they don't. They don't make much. So it, that's the thing. That's why I'm saying, like, I don't want to. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to make it sound like bougie because that's not the goal. But it's just right. like. It's just like, you know, hey, your money, like, uh. <laughs> it's like, all right, I, I can do a little bit here, a little bit there. Yeah. But when you get every little bit and they act like you done just took care of five bills, I'm like, damn, all right, well, I'm glad to know that five dollars did all that for you. They didn't do shit for me. Because <laughs> you know, a, a, lot of the, a lot of the places, like one of the, um, places that we went to in Mexico, I want to say it was Cozumel. They did not want to, like, they told us we should not tip. Yeah. They I don't know. Tell you that. Most of them tell you that. You're not really supposed to, actually. But we ended up, you know, of course we ended up tipping anyway. I don't pay them motherfuckers no mind. I tip. Nah, I, tip I don't pay them no mind. I mean, that is my money, like, I don't now. I don't, uh, like I don't do it all out in the open, but I'll like shake their hand and get it on. Mm-hmm. Do it that way, man. right? Same here. Yeah, everybody happy, man. Like, <laughs> what? Am, I'm not following the rule just to because you. We know you're not paying them what you right. should be paying them. So it's like, don't tell me not to tip. Like, come on, man. Okay. <laughs> I just want to enjoy it. Like they, they here to make they. You know. They their job is to make my experience enjoyable. So I'm like, absolutely. So I tell them, yeah, yeah. But you should you should go on ahead and plan a trip. The the all inclusive ones are easy to plan. Yeah, you, I'm learning that. Yeah, yeah. And, go ahead and go. Yeah, and, and and the thing is, like, we went to <laughs> we went to Jamaica, right? So I got this thing when I'm on vacation, especially like. Like uh, Jamaica, I'm just using that because that's really like the only place I've been. Man, I didn't want to do nothing. Like, um, so they wanted us to do this, uh, this Bob Marley tour. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like the Bob Marley Museum. Yeah, I like Bob Marley, but uh, dudes like so you gotta get up at eight o'clock. You no. say so you're not about that life, huh? No, I told them like <laughs> Leticia was mad. She was like, "I, I kind of want to do it." I'm like, "Man, I didn't like." I'm like Leticia. I'm, I'm not here for that. Like, I get up early every day when I'm home. I don't want to do that shit here. Like, I want to get up when I feel like it. Like, if it was like if I get up and you know 
we can hop on the bus, cool, but you had to commit to it. Like they like, okay, if you yeah. want to do the Bob Molly tour, you need to sign up, you need to pay. I'm like, nah, man, I'm not doing that. Like <laughs> I, I I just Google Bob Molly again when I get home. I'm okay. not I'm not about to get up and know seven o'clock while I'm on vacation just to do this museum. Nah, you man. know, I feel you. I I definitely feel you. Um I I do try to do a couple things, but I don't need to do something every day like you know, there are people who want to go on excursions every day, all day, and that's just not me. Like, I want to be able to have some downtime to relax because a lot of times you go on vacations, you do all that stuff, you come back, and you're tired, and you yeah. feel like you a vacation for your vacation. Yeah, I mean, it was for me, it was just like, um, like, like me and my wife, usually, we, she want to relax, too. But she wants to do like a couple of excursions. And I don't mind. My whole thing is I just want to do it when I want to do it. You do like, it all the time. Man, yeah. Don't like don't put me on no schedule. I'm on vacation, man. Like but James, it don't always work like that. Like those excursions, <laughs> you gotta you gotta schedule them. Well you gotta sacrifice a little bit. Next time we got we did we did a couple, but Nah, I was like, man, I'm not, I'm not here for that. I'm like, we ain't, we ain't about to be getting up eight, nine o'clock just to be doing no damn whatever they want to do. Nah, if it's like noon, all everything we was doing was around noon, one o'clock. I'm like, yeah, I'm up by there. Like, I ain't no way I'm sleeping in that late. So, you know, those are just the things that you know we go through. So. Mm-hmm. But we're gonna get ready to wrap this up because I know me and you could talk forever. But I know, right? We just rambling. <laughs> is there any? Did you um, want to tell people about your um, your folk photography website? Anyway, you want to reach out to me? Sure, sure. So, um, again, I'm Melina. Uh, my photography business is called M Chanel Photography. That's M as in my first initial. Chanel is my middle name. I get a lot of emails with, hey, Chanel. <laughs> uh, but it's Melina, M. Chanel Photography. Um, my website is mchanelphoto.com. So that's M-S-H-O-N-E-L-L photo.com. And then on Instagram, I'm at uh, uh, Photo. Okay. Well, I want to again thank you for taking your precious time to do this interview with me. My pleasure. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much. You do the same. And I thank you all for listening and everyone have a good day.